Welcome to another Look Again podcast. Today, we would like to welcome a very special guest, Samantha Skelly. Samantha is the founder of Pause Breathwork and also a fellow podcaster on The Sam Skelly Show. Among all these projects, she is also a writer, facilitator, and a teacher. Her focuses go deep into self-discovery, remembering the very true nature of being and self-help techniques. We welcome her today to Look Again Podcast to speak about her journey with this work. Thank you for speaking with us today. How are you doing? (laughs) I'm so good. After being called the human version of Adderall, I don't know, my day can't get much better. (laughs) (laughs) That was a behind the scenes comment. Yeah, welcome to the podcast. It's nice to have you on. Dude, it's so nice to be here. I'm super pumped. As are we, as are we. Your energy is through the roof and we love it and we feel it through the internet. Yay, I love it. You seem to be a very proactive person, engaging with many different things, such as being a facilitator, podcaster, and writer. In what order did these interests come to you? And how do you see all these things as separate projects and also how these interfacing with each other? Love that. I'm an artist and storyteller by nature, you know? I grew up as an actress and a dancer, and so I told stories through movement. I told stories through acting, and now that gets to be interwoven into my career, which is super rad. I love podcasting. I love having these conversations. Not only do I love being a host, but I love being a guest so we can have deep conversations about things that matter. But the root and like the through line of everything that I do is like, how can I use storytelling and creativity and artistry to raise consciousness and decrease suffering. And so that's basically it. So I would say like podcasting is like my love and then writing and then facilitating and facilitation is just like a, basically an amalgamation of all the things, you know, when you're facilitating, you are, you are creating art, you are invoking emotion, you are in some ways performing when it's like a stage thing. So those three are like my loves and that would be the order. You're like an artistic facilitator. Oh, that's cool. On Adderall. (laughs) Energetic. Ali, if you don't use a word cooler than amalgamation on this podcast, you're in trouble, buddy. That's right. Yeah, Ali, she dropped dropped the mic on that one, Ali. I'm not even worried about that. It'll come. It has to come with the flow. (laughs) I can't, I don't force it. It's like the words come in and it's like, it's flowing through me and not, from me all right i love the vocabulary it. gods love me you have this podcast to figure it out so please it's all it, it happens all the time i can't even mm-hmm. stop it all right all right so when you show up in so many different ways expressing yourself mm-hmm. uh, sometimes you might need to shift your approach your state of being for each project um where do you tap into like what's the source of all this creativity and all these things that you're doing mm. some call it god some call it universe some call it life force and i've floated through those words over the last 10 years. I grew up very Christian and went to church and it was very strict. And then I sort of like went atheist and thought God didn't exist, but then there was like universe, right? And now I'm like coming back to this place of like reintegrating the word God into my life and universe. But anyways, it's like that energy that we all feel, but can't agree on like the exact word of what that energy is. But it's like, the light and the life force that comes through, right? Ellie, as you were saying, like the gods of vocabulary just come through and they're like, boom, that's what it is. And I'll be on stage sometimes and I'll just open up and be like, all right, what do these people need to hear? And how can I just be the vessel for that transmission? And it's interesting because as I'm speaking, whether it's on stage or on my podcast or when I'm recording breathwork audios in the studio, Things just come through that I've never said before. And so I'm I'm like, oh, that's good. Like that didn't come from this bank of knowledge or things that I've said before, premeditated scripts. It came from their place. And so that is what I trust in everything that I do, you know? Like that is what I trust when I build my business, you know? It's like, how can I infuse the energetics of God, universe, life force into the finances of my business, into the cre- uh, the creativity of my business, into the people of my business. And that helps me keep going. It helps me grow because I know it, it's not just me. And it helps to know that there's something greater to trust that I know always has my back and is supporting me. And I think there's something really beautiful to be said about 
if you have an intention to help the world and you have an intention to raise consciousness, decrease suffering, there is this force that has your back. Like when I look back at my career over the last 12 years, I'm like, I've always been so protected, you know, at building pause over the last, you know, hungry for happiness and pause over a decade. There's been multiple times where my ego is like, we're going bankrupt. We're not going to be able to make payroll. And then boom, it comes in. Boom. It like, I've always been so supported. And I think there's really something to be said about where the intention's coming from and is it for the greater good or is it self-serving? Yeah, I kind of have this um, saying that I take from Terrence McKenna that nature loves courage. So when you show up and you kind of don't know what is going to happen, it tends to work out right if you're doing the good work and you have like a yeah. good head on your shoulders and you pump through it. Is that the mushroom dude? Mm-hmm. He's the yeah. psychedelic priestess, you could say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've, I, I studied a little bit of his stuff years ago. I haven't heard that name in a bit. Yeah. So we kind of like learned a little bit about you and now we kind of want to dive into a little bit about your work. So you, you mentioned it before. So you have this course that you facilitate called pause breathe. So you have a facilitator course you teach on the breath and breathing called pause breath work. And we were curious, what is it about the breath that encouraged you to pursue a life in teaching and facilitating workshops to educate and talk about such an automatic process of the body, you know, cause breathing is, it's something you do whether you want to or not. It's so automatic to our being and it's so essential to our being. But like what encouraged you and wanted you to work on that and teach people? It is interesting, right? It's like I have an entire business that teaches people how to breathe. Yeah. Like we've come so far away from our true nature. Well, here's the thing. It's like my first company is teaching people how to eat properly, uh-huh. right? Not overeat, not binge eat, how to like use food for health and hunger and really listen to our visceral intelligence and our intuition of how to use food responsibly. And now I have a company that teaches people how to breathe. Like I want to get to a place where there is no need for my company anymore because people just use the breath and know that it is the thing that helps regulate our nervous systems and bring us into a state of balance. But to answer your question, I came across breath work at a time in my life when I was struggling with an eating disorder really bad. I was on over 50 diets in less than four years. I wrote a book about it. That was my whole first company is Hungry for Happiness of how can we stop emotional eating, start loving our bodies, start really understanding the intelligence that these bodies offer us. And so I found breath work and I realized, oh my God, I can use my breath to get into my body, I can tell the difference between a visceral hunger cue and an emotional hunger cue. I can actually open my heart, feel the depths of my heart. I can feel self-love. And so it was just, it was this mind blowing three hours of my life where I came to this place and I was like, wait, why do we not know that we can do this? Like what the F, you know, you can say it. We're all what the adults. fuck? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, guys, imagine if every single person in the world right now knew they had this ability to use their breath to clear anxiety, regulate their nervous system. We wouldn't be dealing with so much of the stuff that we're dealing with. I taught breath work at a maximum security prison about a year ago. And I was teaching breath work to people who had killed people. Like they were, it was a maximum security prison. It was wild. And it was unbelievable to see these grown ass men bawling their eyes out. And one of them says to me, I've never felt my heart until this moment, like his whole life. Can you imagine if that individual found breath work, had access to his heart and his intuition? Do you think that he could kill someone else? Probably not. Unless there was like intense mental illness around that. Right. So it's just mind blowing of like, man, we've been given this ability to connect with each other and, and use our breath to regulate our nervous systems. And yet we are in a mental health pandemic, like what the fuck? So it was in that moment where I started to use breath work to, to heal myself. And I just kept getting this pull from the universe to be like, this is so much bigger than your healing. Like go, (laughs) like do this, go create whatever you need to create in order to bring this work to the masses. And so now we're here and doing that. That's really awesome. I mean, with Holistic Life Foundation, we do that stuff often. I mean, the, the foundation of everything we teach is the breath and it's so empowering. And I remember just like you said, like learning after college, the right way to breathe and being like, 
how the fuck did nobody tell me how to do this the right way? Because it's just such an essential tool. And, you know, and, and now across the nation, there, across the world, there's so many of these breath courses out there that are educating people on, you know, being mindful of your breath and being aware of your breath and using your breath as this tool to be able to get you in the present moment. What we wanted to know is since you've been doing this work with the breath, how often do you come across people that don't know how to breathe correctly? And how would you say, when they take your course, that pause breathwork course, how are they breathing before they take your course? And then how are they breathing after they take your mm, course? They're dead before and then they're alive after. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> well, seriously, and not not physically dead, but it's like energetically. So I, I kind of like oscillated between numbness and anxiety, right? Like my whole, like a lot of my life, especially when I had my eating disorder. And so when we're energetically and emotional, emotionally like numb in our bodies, we feel this sense of depletion, this deadness, right? Because life force, we're not allowing life force to come in and flow through us. And so breath is the, our life force. So the deeper we breathe, the better we feel, right? And the better we feel, the deeper we can go. And so it really helps people to understand how to feel their emotionality through using the breath, knowing that they're safe to feel their emotions. The world is traumatized. And so that's a big, big issue. It's like, we don't want to feel. So we numb out, we check out, we distract ourselves. And so when we can integrate the breath back in and slowly open up our window of tolerance, letting our bodies know we're actually safe to be in our body, we can shift into a whole other narrative. We can have a completely different life. You know, everything starts in the body. That's why our whole philosophy at pause is the bottom up approach. You know, rather than thinking about how to feel better, we feel to feel better. And that's the whole thing because our mind can really get in the way when it comes to personal development. Our mind can cock block our happiness. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> that's no fair. That's not fair. That sucks. <laughs> so you speak about like being numb. What is the cause of the numbness? Where do you think the numbness is coming from? It comes from a protector. The, you know, it's like when we're growing up and we're exposed to trauma that we don't know how to handle when we're four years old, five years old, even younger, three years old, the body like locks up like, oh, I never want to feel that again. And so we protect ourselves. We guard everything. And so that brings our body into states of numbness because we have the suppressed trauma, the suppressed resistance to actually feeling. And so as adults, when we have the discernment and the willingness to unpack that, we begin to empty out the system and we begin to release a lot of the suppressed trauma that is stuck in our body so that we can experience more of our life force. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's important to be able to release it correctly other than release it in such a way that you know, you're an adult in maximum prison being like, I feel my heart for the first time. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like there's so much energy in our bodies that just needs an outlet and a responsible outlet. But these days we don't have very many responsible outlets, right? And so rather than it becoming a proactive decision to like go in and clear and release and let go, it becomes reactive incident, right? It's like, look at road rage. It's like, go fuck yourself. It's like, what was happening? It's like, he's not actually mad that he, that he got cut off. It's literally 30 years of suppressed, bottled up stuff that just like needs an outlet, a burst. So if we can cultivate and create those environments in advance, what a beautiful thing, you know? It's like people will walk into one of my breathwork classes and they're like, oh my God, what is happening in here, right? You have like Frank in the corner who's like on his hands and knees, like screaming his head up. You have like Becky who's bawling her eyes out. You have someone like laughing, like it looks like everyone's on drugs. But it's like we're just processing like all of this stuck trauma. Yeah, and it's amazing too because the trauma, like you said, is it locks up our body energetically and physically and breath is a very body-based activity, you know? So if we're locked up, our breathing potential is not as high as it could be. Yeah, that's it. That's it. All right, Sam. What are some of the common reasons people attend such a workshop and want to learn? And what have you collected over time while doing this work? Have there been any unique reasons why people have attended your course other than the general ones you would like to share with us? Mm, this is a really good question. You know, I think there's two types of people in the world. There's people who 
proactively go deeper in order to enhance their life. And then there's people who life happens to them and like wakes them up. And I see both, you know, I see people who come after a crisis or something like life has really smacked them to wake up. And then they're like so exposed and need to put their life back together. And so they come, breathe, get in touch with the self. And that's like the speedy way, right? Then you have like the slower burners who are like, okay, I am feeling a little bit numb. I'm feeling defeated. I'm not feeling fulfilled. I want to have like a little bit more oomph. I'm feeling like chronic anxiety. Like we've really normalized anxiety in our world. This like just chronic low anxiety, this like low grade anxiety that just sits in the system. It's like, why, why have we normalized that? Right. We normalize stress. If you're stressed, it's a badge of honor because it means you're busy and you're achieving. And in a world that we live in, it's like, if you're not achieving, like what the fuck? And so I see people from all walks of life, but a lot of it is like anxiety, depression, grief, and anger. Okay. So uh, without the breath, we're pretty much dead. You know what I mean? Like we're not, you're not really functioning without your breath. Most of the time people don't take a very active or mindful approach to their breath. Uh, But what's actually happening to you when you do start to do that? Like what's happening, what's activating physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and like, uh, what's, what do you think of the biggest differences between like that mindful aware breathing and that automatic breathing? Hmm. Well, firstly, it's like, there's so much available to us in this moment, right? Energetically, spiritually, relationally, like connection, there's so much happening. But when we're viewing the present moment from our structured mind, it's very limiting. It's like, okay, I'm here. I'm at my desk. There's four people in front of me. Here's of the, right. It's there's, there's a limitation to the experience. Now, when we use the breath, and we allow it to drop us into our bodies, I'm going from viewing this from structured mind to what we call that pause, embodied awareness. My awareness is from an embodied place. So when my awareness is from an embodied place, there's more texture here. Like I can track David's system. I can track the connection between us. I can track the connection, but you know, there's more that I can feel here. And then I'm like attuned to nature. I'm attuned to my body. Like what? Am, what's my experience? What's David's experience versus my experience? Am I merging into his energy or, or are we both sovereign in our, in our energetic blueprints? So we can't do that when we're viewing it from the, the level of the mind. So what the breath does is it drops us into the present moment. So our attunement and our felt sense is activated way up to like a level 10 from like a numbness so that we can actually start to feel the world, not think about the world. And what we know to be true is when we act on our felt sense and our feelings, that's our true north. You know, it's like we wrongly prioritize the structured mind over the felt sense. And my mission with pause is like reversing that. Like how can the feelings be first and the mind just checks in to make sure that we're safe? Because if we're, if we're living life from that reptilian brain, we're going to make survival-based decisions constantly, right? If we are always in our survival strategy, which is naturally what happens when we're in our mind, we're going to sabotage things, businesses, relationships, even the things that our soul wants, the mind's going to hijack it and sabotage it. And so what the breath helps us do is it helps us move from that survival strategy into the heart so that we can actually feel our next best move rather than think about it. One thing I'm thinking of too is that these three guys, Ali, Amin, and Andy, they also teach and facilitate things. And I'm curious, like, what is your guys' response to that question too? Like, what do you notice when you're teaching people breath? I think the first thing that I always notice is how much people slow down. They're a lot less um, impulsive. They become more responsive instead of like reactionary to things. And just like, like even like energetically, they slow down. I feel like when you're like the breath, when you become mindful of it, it it's kind of puts up like that, some type of energetic force field around you where it's like, it, it takes a lot longer for stuff to permeate. And you notice, you're like, oh, there that is. Nah, I'm not, I'm not dealing with that. And um, I think it's just what happens. And when you did get into like the deeper, like spiritual aspects of pranayama, um, it definitely affects people's meditations. Like they can go a lot deeper into into their true self and into their meditations. 
you notice other things start to happen esoterically. So I think there's a lot just starting off with just being aware of the breath, knowing how to breathe, slowing the breath down and then getting into the deeper practices. It gets you deeper into your true self. Yeah. And uh, one thing I've noticed through the years with us teaching about the breath is how empowering it is to people. A lot of people uh, have their power taken away from them, at, like whether it's school, whether it's in church, whether like wherever, like their power is always getting taken away. And, you know, they are reactionary to a lot of different things. It's beautiful how, you know, we've seen people uh, become more responsive to stimuli, whether it's positive or negative. And uh, that's really empowering because, you know, you won't be as impulsive. You know, that's one thing I've noticed is like you give people their power back and you give them life, like you said, Sam. Yeah, I would say the initial thing that I, I noticed the most is that sense of stillness and presence that they gain. You know, like whenever we usually leave some diaphragmic breathing, you know, some belly breathing. It's usually the first one we go through. And and after you lead someone through like seven to ten of those, you can feel like the stillness in the whole room. And then when they open their eyes, they're like looking at you like holy shit like like i can go there whenever the fuck i want to you know it's like they forgot that they had that place and they that they could be here now and be present and it's like all that stuff we always talk about about you know the past causing anger and the future causing future causing anxiety mm -hmm. that is gone they're just with their breath and i just like i love looking at people's eyes when they really are getting into it and they open their eyes up they just look at you like man, what the fuck did you just give me? For real, you know what I mean? And it's like, they got it. They have it. It's with them all the time. So I think that's the, the main thing I notice with people is they know after practicing that they can access that inner peace and that sense of presence all the time. Uh, yeah, it's like what Adam said. It like gives them a sense of empowerment. Mm -hmm. And something you said that I just want to like pull on that's so important is like we teach people how to remember who they are. When we are born, we are constantly drinking from the well of forgetfulness. We forget our true nature. We forget what we stand for. We forget our spiritual gifts. We forget everything. And when we breathe, it's like we are bringing ourselves back into our true nature. We're just remembering. Yeah. Our teacher used to always, he used to hate it when we would call him a teacher. He'd be like, I'm not a teacher. I'm just a reminder. He'd always say it to us. Oh, dang. Oh, that gave me goosebumps. Hmm. There's a lot of responsibility to be a reminder, but he's taking, we're all reminders. He's, yeah, though. it's true. You know, if you think about it, we're reminder all... of what to do and sometimes of what not to do. Exactly. Yeah. Mainly, I think it's the reminder of who who we are. Like she was saying, yeah. you know what I mean? Like I love how you said that. That since we're born, we're just constantly forgetting. We're forgetting. We're forgetting. And mm -hmm. and, and really, mm -hmm. if we can just remember our true nature, that infinite self of ours, that's that's, that's powerful. It. Yeah. I'm a reminder for people to eat more tacos. Yes. That's what I'm here to do. I agree. I was going to say, I thought today was Tuesday too. I was like, dang, it's Tuesday. I don't believe in Taco Tuesday. I think it's taco every day. Taco day. Just taco day. <laughs> Very true. Taco day. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. So you have this course called the pause breath work. There seems to be an emphasis on the word pause, which is essential for an intentional and conscious breath. Could you speak about the importance of the word pause before, during, and after the breath and why it is important to understand the idea of pausing during breathing? This is great, yeah. It's like for us to understand our life has gone to hell in a handbag, we gotta first pause and actually notice it, right? So that's the first, that's the first bit. People are like, oh, I have this moment where I realize like, man, I'm not who I used to be, or I'm going down this wrong path. Like it requires us in order to do the work. It requires us to unplug from the matrix, pause and actually make a decision to do the work. Yeah. Then the work itself requires us to pause and do the work. We cannot do pause breath work when we are distracted or doing anything else. All it is, is the work. Like that's it. There's nothing else we can do. We can't be farting around doing anything else. It is the work. And then afterwards, it's pausing and reflecting on what was brought up to then integrate into our life. You know, plant medicine serves this purpose as well, right? We go into a journey, like we get blasted open, we have all of these insights, and then we integrate it. What happens most of the time in my, in my experience of plant medicine is people just keep doing it without the integration. Now, the cool thing about breath work is 
in my experience, I've had similar journeys with breath work that I have with mushrooms and ayahuasca, like the same stuff comes through, you know, we are our own drug. And so that integration process, the reflection of what did I learn and how can I integrate that into my life is so important. And again, that requires us to pause, actually extract the gold and then integrate it into our life. Mm, you're speaking my language, plant medicine. Also, we have DMT within our brains and it is activated during REM sleep and while we sleep. So I'm curious, I don't, I don't know if you can answer this question. I'm kind of just proposing this to our audience. I'm curious if like controlling the breath is actually releasing DMT within our brain because you're saying you're able to access some, you know, kind of psychedelic, very emotionally deep spaces within yourself through breath work. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, whoa. Maybe maybe there's something there that people can access, you know, because our brains are just chemicals mm-hmm, mixing with mm-hmm. other things and then we're responding to that. So it's, yeah. it's really interesting to think about. Yeah, that's true. Our boy Wim Hof talks about this and people also call breathwork DMT breathing. Have you guys seen that? Like people are call it that DMT breathing. And what also is happening is it's releasing epinephrine in the brain, which which is essentially adrenaline in the body. It's the same thing. They just call it a different thing. And so it's giving us like that burst of energy where one of the most beautiful things that we can achieve is like the stillness of the mind, but then the alertness of the body, right? It's like what tends to happen most, most of the time when we're not conscious of this is we're in our fight or flight in the body and in the mind. And then it like drives our, our states into chronic states of anxiety, right? Even me naming that, it's like, ugh. whereas like with breath work, what, what gets to happen is like, because of the epinephrine that's released in the brain, the brain is actually like quiet, clear, and open. But then the body, because of the adrenaline is like, it's almost ready to like go. So there's this like, there's this energetic response that happens with an incredibly clear mind. That's like the ideal state for, for performance, which is why a lot of like UFC fighters, like you'll see when they're on their breaks. And I only know this because Eric's like obsessed with the UFC. I think it's gross, but they're like, breathe, breathe, breathe. Like, right. When they're doing the thing and they're all like bloody and their ears are all over the place. Right. It's like, breathe, because it's like, it's like clearing the mind, but then letting, getting the body ready to go. Yeah. When you're getting punched upon, you want to have a clear head of where you got to go. Yeah. But all athletes, you know, swimmers, dancers. I used to be a dancer. So, you know, breath work was like, and I didn't know what I was doing at the time, but it's obvious now. I'm forgetting this person, but who did we interview? Who was like Michael Jordan and Kobe's person that he taught? He was teaching like breath work. George Mumford. Yeah, George Mumford. Yeah, we interviewed George Mumford and he was talking about mindfulness in sports. It was exactly that, like breathing and just clearing the mind and having the ability to almost like take time a little slower to manipulate time. So like when you're in a very high intense pressure zone, you can act accordingly and kind of see things happening. And it's pretty amazing. Yeah. It's like I notice this in business all the time when my nervous system is activated in the sympathetic, the fight or flight, and I try and take action from that place, I just create chaos. Like it's messy, right? Whereas the external thing happens, whether it's an email or like, you know, a funnel that's broken and I'm driving tons of traffic to it. Like those moments where you're like, fuck, that's the moment where I'm like, okay, let me regulate right now. Cause I'm so activated and I'll sit there and I'll do a breathwork session to help move me into the parasympathetic. So I don't create more chaos. Very nice. All right. So before I ask the next question, I just wanted to say, David, I definitely think the breath can activate the DMT in your brain and we don't need to use any of those medicines. We can just access it with ourselves. I've never done any plant medicine, but I've definitely had some wild experiences with where I was like really, really into my pranayama practice where I was getting in like a few hours a day. Mm-hmm. And definitely so there was some stuff going on that I couldn't explain or didn't have the words to explain. Like some of the experiences of like being in other places or feeling like really, really, really expansive consciousness. I wish I had time to do it now. I just don't. Um, I do my maintenance breath work, but I mean, I know that it's accessible depending on what practices you use and how long you use them. Mm-hmm. It's so powerful. There's such a depth that's available. And like Sam was talking about earlier, you know, like whether it's God or life force or whatever, you're pulling in that life force into your body and charging yourself up. So 
you know, that's definitely taking you closer to that universal source when you are storing up that prana or life force in your body. So I definitely have the same thing. I'm not really too versed in the plant medicine, but, you know, I have gone places, journeys, uh, you know, just with the breath work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And honestly, it's like choose your own adventure, right? It's like, what's the result that we're trying to get? And if that's accessible through breath work, do it. And I don't think plant medicine's for everyone, you know, especially someone who's had like a history of, I don't know, an addictive personality or whatever. Although on that same token, I, I also think that a lot of those things can be healed through plant medicine. So it's, it's really about choose your own adventure. And it's such a case by case individual decision. But like, that's why I love breathwork so much because it's like, okay, not everyone in the world is the right person to do mushrooms or ayahuasca or DMT or 5-O-M LMNOP or whatever the fuck that thing called. Um, right. But like everyone can use the breath, literally everyone bring me anyone, even the highest amount of trauma. And I can take them on a path to slowly integrate the breath, to open up the window of tolerance, to not re-traumatize that person. Like it's so possible. Mm -hmm. Insert disclaimer here. Wait, did you say the window of what? I, I really like that. The window of window of tolerance. So like, yeah. I, I mean, there's some breath work and I, I think anyone who's teaching breath is like such a winner, but there's some bodies of work who just go for like the deep dive, like three hours, breathe as hard as you can for as long as you can. And that method is not safe for everybody. You know, that method can actually re-traumatize someone and do more harm than good. And so a huge part of pause is we are a trauma informed, uh, program, right? So we really center the individual client's experience when we're teaching breath work. And so for someone who's had decades of trauma, ripping them open with like a really intensive breath pattern is not the path. We want to go slower, more gentle, shorter, and we can do that for weeks or months until that individual is feeling a baseline level of safety in their system, then we can start building up. And that's sort of like our methodology, like slow and steady wins the race, you know? So Sam, on, on your website, you have a quote, it says something like, I reteach people how to breathe. Mm. So, you know, I said it earlier, I was like, like, no one taught me how to breathe until way later on. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, are we actually taught how to breathe? Right? And if so, you know, I guess answer that question first and then think about if we were, then when did we forget it? You know, like, was there a certain time? Was it an instance? Is it maybe trauma based, you know, whatever, you know, why do you think you need to reteach people how to breathe? Basically. I don't think people were taught. Like I'm just going through my memory log. My mom taught me a lot of things, but I don't think breathing was one of them. <laughs> right. They just, it's kind of just like, you're just, you're doing it. Like you, you came out. You're doing and you're it. Just, yeah. You know, it's like blinking, right? Knowing how to blink properly isn't going to affect anything, but, but, oh, but maybe it will. I don't know. There's some like MDMR therapies that maybe we'll disagree with that, but you know, it's something that's so natural to us, but is, is not optimized. Like everyone knows how to breathe, but it's not optimized. So when we can optimize our breathing for our well being, that's when we can really tap into some juicy feelings. A lot of times when we, talk to people about this, we always remind them to look at an infant and how infants breathe perfectly. So they're breathing the right way. So like when we come out, we're breathing That's good. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, but then what makes us forget, you know, why do we all start like panting and breathing shitty and shallow and, and not using the breath properly? We've misplaced what will actually kill us versus what will not kill us. Right. So like when we were in the tribal times back in the day, when things would affect us, <sighs> Right. If we were actually in danger, we would go to that more sympathetic, like fight or flight, shallow breath. Now we get an email and our body's like, you're going to die. So we start breathing in that way when it's actually not the case. Like there's not many things. Well, if you're living in America right now in this time behind a computer, that email's not going to kill you. Yes, there's a lot going on in the world right now and people are in serious danger and it sucks. But right now, especially just talking to, to us, like we're, we're good. Like if we get a, if we get a bad review or a, a bad email, we're not going to die, but there's a part of us that believes that. And so the work here is like, how can we activate the parasympathetic breath while, you know, there's chaos going on or there's like that email came in or that event happened. And, and yeah, to answer your question, it's like, we lock up because we don't think we're safe. Like this all comes, like so much of this comes down to safety. We don't feel safe to take deep breath, deep and slow breaths. We don't feel safe to really allow ourselves to go into that parasympathetic 
because it goes back to that thing of like, if I'm not stressed, then I'm going to miss something. And if I miss something, I'm not safe. And if I'm not safe, I'm going to die. So we keep ourselves in those like chronically stressed state, but it's just not the way that we're operating right now. Just as you were saying, I mean, we think of something we used to always tell people, because a lot of the kids that we work with, kids and young people uh, live in communities where they have to be aware and they associate with taking that calm, relaxing breath with having your head in the clouds and not being aware. But yeah. we try to explain to them that it's like a difference between like hypervigilance and calm awareness. You know what I mean? Like Jedi's, you never see, you never watch a Star Wars movie and a Jedi stressed out. Like they're always calm. They're always focused, but they're also always aware. So we got to get them to be able to have that balance between slowing themselves down and still being aware and slowing themselves mm. down and not just feel like they're just floating yeah. out in the universe somewhere. Cause like in a lot of those kids in a lot of those situations, like not being grounded could be a life or death situation. So the difference between the hypervigilance versus that calm awareness. That's it. That's it. So good. Let's say um, you had an opportunity and you could teach every single person on the planet proper deep breathing before they ran into any stress or any trauma in their lives. How do you think that would shift the world? It's like, it goes back to what Adam was saying of like empowerment. Like the world is freaking out right now because we feel out of control. We feel like our power is being taken away. So it's like if you give people a tool to not even tell them that they're powerful, but bring them to a place of feeling like they're powerful, come on. You know, it's like, what are all the destructive things that we do on a daily basis to ourselves and to each other and to the planet because we don't think that we're powerful. We're trying to fight for it. It's like, no, we don't need to fight for it. We just need to be it. Okay, great. But if we can't feel it, then we're going to fight for it. So when we give people an opportunity to actually be it and feel it, it's an embodied experience, experienced based transformation versus just like, Hey, you are powerful. And like motivation. It gives, it's a completely different way of working. The more we talk about the breath, the more I'm understanding it. It's so feeling-based. It generates feeling, and it also causes feeling. So if you feel something you don't want to, the breath can help you promote something you do want to and or re-engage something you're looking to feel. And it's like if you're in a stressful situation and you have that short breath thing going on, it promotes a feeling that you're not wanting. So it's really interesting to hear how being in control and being out of control is a state of uh promotes a feeling you know and it's like we are the authorities of how we feel ultimately but we need to like learn these tools to figure it out yeah and furthermore to that it's like we're the authorities of the stories we make about how we feel right because like the feeling is like the truth like this is the feeling this is the truth but if I slap on a story of struggle onto that feeling, it's going to drive me into a state of depression. If I slap on a story of hope, it's going to make me hopeful of the transition, right? So it's like we're meaning-making machines and we're constantly making meaning of our sensations on a daily basis, which is either driving us into fulfilled, happy, grounded, powerful states, or it's driving us into deeper states of depression, anxiety, stress, overwhelm, insert thing here. So it's really about like, how can we disassociate the struggle from the felt experience? Yeah. I just like randomly thought of this. So when you facilitate a workshop, some of the photos I saw of your facilitating, it looks like they're big. It's like a little rock concert going on there. And that seems stressful. Do you have your own breathing practice before you go on stage to help calm yourself? Or you're just like, fuck it, YOLO, let's do this. Like you just walk in with that energy or do you kind of like have a mindful moment before you walk on stage or like, what does that look like? The human version of Adderall requires a lot <laughs> of prep. Like I don't just rely on like, oh, I'm just going to have this energy. Like I have practices for absolutely everything. So I have like a pre-stage practice. I have a post-stage practice. I have a pre, I have a morning routine and evening. Like I am utilizing the breath every single day to activate the states that I need, right? And depending on what state I need, I'm going to choose a breath pattern that's appropriate for that state, right? So like when I go to bed, I don't use a really activating, energizing breath pattern that's going to like lift me. I'll, I'll use more of a down-regulating, grounding breath pattern before I go on stage. You better believe like, 
like, I'm going to use the most active breath pattern ever, jump around, move my body, use the breath, put music on. So I'm feeling ready for it. And then when I get off stage, because when you're on stage, you're in your sympathetic nervous system, right? Just by nature. So then when I get off stage using a breath pattern to downregulate myself and, and get really grounded or else I'll just be like riding that adrenaline and it's going to be pretty intense. So yeah, I, depending on like the performance or depending on what I, how I need to show up, I, I use breath work to help create those energetic states. Great. Yeah. Good question. So, I've never been asked that before. <laughs> that was improv. There's an even <laughs> higher level that you go to when the adrenaline kicks in. Holy shit. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, can you even imagine? You know, I hope you you teach Eric all these breathing techniques too to get him to deal with that. Dude, he's the exact opposite of me. <laughs> he's like the most calm, grounded person you'll ever meet in your life. I don't know how the heck he deals with me. <laughs> breathing, lots of breath work. It's all about the yin yang. Y'all y'all probably match each other's yeah energy. Breath work and lots of marijuana. That's his, that's his thing. <laughs> that does work. Alongside podcasting, facilitating workshops, you're also a writer with a book called Hunger for Happiness, Stop Emotional Eating and Start Loving Your Body. Where did the inspiration come from to write this book? I know that you said that you struggle with the eating disorder. Uh, so I guess maybe you were empowered by the lessons that you've learned. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it. I basically was like, why does the world struggle with this so much? And the numbers for obesity and body image issues and emotional eating are just so off the charts. It's crazy. And it's, we're trying to fix it with dieting, you know, putting a bandaid on a bullet wound, like go on this fat diet and do this thing. And this miracle thing, it's trying all of these external things when really emotional eating is an internal thing. You know, there's so much that we can work through the emotional body. And so that's what Hungry for Happiness is all about. It's like, and of course, breathwork is a huge piece of that. Like, how can we really repair the ruptures internally so that we stop using food as a drug? Because that's essentially what, what we're doing, right? It's like we're using food as a drug. So when we realize like, oh, we are the drug and we don't need to create these sensations through food, we can actually cultivate them through mindful practices and breathwork and movement and all of these other, other things. It just completely shifts so my approach to ending emotional eating is not has, has nothing to do with food, right? It's like food is the byproduct. Yeah. Thanks so for that's that. where the inspiration came from. Yeah, of course. It seems as though people over time have developed many different types of relationships with food, with their eating habits and like also self-image because eating impacts your self-image. Can you speak us through some of the destructive forms of relationship that you've seen with food and also what a healthy relationship with food looks like? And, you know, I, I just wrote down this quote because it's, it's one thing I've been thinking about. And it's like we sacrifice health for taste, you know. So we're almost willing to eat something that's more tasty and not so healthy because, you know, healthy food might not be as good. Or we just don't know how to make like really tasty healthy food or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's such a wide range of relationships when it comes to food. And it's so complex and, you know, layered. You have restriction you have overeating, you have like anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder, body, like there's so much. And I think it's important to note that the root of all of that is the same. <laughs> and I've worked with 23,000 people now on that side of my business. And I see the same things over and over and over and over again. And the ways that we're trying to heal it are just so destructive and not working. They didn't work for me and they're not working for millions of people around the world. And so what's really important is like asking, you know, ourselves, like, what are we actually hungry for? You know, like, what is that like deeper, deeper, like, oh, reason as to like why this is going on and how can we begin to like really soothe and, and, and use healthy remedies for that wound so that we're not turning to things like food or over-exercising in order to, to achieve that. Huh. So it's almost like we are addictive personalities and, and we're going to use it somehow but yet we turn our attention towards food, right? Is kind of what you're saying. And yeah, it's like food is a socially acceptable and readily available drug, right? Like it works, it works. And that's why we use it. And then we get caught in this like pattern of like getting addicted to it. Like food is, food is super addicting, especially sugar. It made me think of something. How do you work with people when it's like a cultural thing? So by that, I mean like I'm Puerto Rican, mm -hmm. my family, they just, the portions are just, 
outrageous. You ever come to my house and you, my mom gives you some Marokwan Bituela or something like that, she's going to be like, is that enough? And you'll be like, yeah. And then she's going to look at you right in your face and put another spoonful on your plate, right? <laughs> and then everything is fried. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everything is. And then they look at me because I'm vegetarian and I, I eat completely different than the rest of my family. So I'm always the douchebag. They say like, like oh, look at you. You got to mess everything up. Blah, 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 blah. You know, yeah. like, so like, how do you work with people when it's like part of their culture? Like, like most of the people in my family, like, man, we Puerto Rican. This is how we eat. And I'm like, yeah. but do you really have to eat that way? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, so it's hard for me to get that message. And I'm sure there's tons of other cultures that are very similar to that. Like, what do you, what do you do with people like that? Is there any tips you could help out? Dude, I think it's like anything else in life. It's like when you find the truth of what is what works for you in your body and you're so anchored in that truth, it's really hard. It's really easy rather to discern what's for me and what's not for me. Right. So it's like if you adapt this like this standard of like I treat my like this is my vessel and this is my body and I only want to put what's really good for me in this vessel and I'm not going to put anything in my body that is that is outside of that, then it becomes like the decisions to say no become really easy. You know, it's like the more anchored we are in our truth, the, the easier it is to say yes or no. Like it's, even in relationships, it's like when we decide in advance our truth about how we want to be treated in a relationship, we're not going to settle for less. You know, when we decide in advance what we want to put in our body, what we decide in advance, what we want to do with our business, like it just becomes easy. And, and when we don't have those values, those beliefs and those standards, it's easy to waver, especially when it comes to family. I grew up, my, my stepdad is, um, Ukrainian. So same idea, right? It's like, it's like eating is like, if I eat more then I love her, you know, it's like this weird, like codependent, like, eh. so same, same sort of thing. Right. And, and, and I, I used to like give into that a lot of like, Oh, grandma's going to love me more if I eat more more of her nachinka and her cabbage rolls. But then I realized it's like, no, this is my body. And so it's, it's easier to discern. Yeah. Andy, my first thought was, is eating is a sign of taking care. You know, like when your mom just keeps feeding you, it's, it's a sign of loving, caring, essential action. You know what I mean? So I've walked into a couple friends' houses where it, it's exactly that. They're like, are you sure you had enough? Want some more? There's plenty more. Go eat some. Like, I don't believe you. You know, so it's, it's there's this sign of like, I care for you. I love you. I want to make sure you're full and healthy. And it's not like those type of moms are feeding you sugary foods and all that. But but yeah, it could be like, I, I'm good. Just large portions of fried foods is all. <laughs> large yeah. portions of fried foods. Yeah. <laughs> that might be a cultural thing too, maybe. For sure, yeah. Why do you think it's easier to choose unhealthy portions of food instead of choosing something that's like good for us? You know what I mean? Like, like I mean, I feel like you just spoke to that, but I mean, I feel like there's there's certain ways that, like you said, making the active decision to choose a food that's gonna nurture us and keep us healthy and keep us whole. But I mean, like fried food, carbs, cheese, like like it, it's easy to go that route and, it, and it's comforting to go that route. Like, what do you think plays into that? So I love this question. So I was sitting on a balcony with Eric about three years ago and he's from Jersey. So he's obsessed with bagels. Right. And he's like, Oh my God, I love bagels so much. And I, my first reaction was like, Oh my God, I hate bagels. He's like, what could you possibly hate about bagels? They're this or that they're warm. They're and I'm like, Oh, I just, I feel so like lethargic and like gross after I eat one. Like it just sits in my belly and it's nasty. And so what I realized from us having that conversation is like, my view on food is like, how is this going to make me feel? And is this going towards me feeling uh, vital, energized and excited or away from? And so like, that's how I, that's how I consume food now. Like that's basically like my standard of how I eat. It's like, okay, if I eat this, am, is that going to be energy rich or energy depleting? Obviously, I will make decisions where it is energy depleting for the sake of satisfaction and enjoyment. Absolutely. But it's not what happens 90% of the time. 90% of the time, I'm checking in with like, okay, after I eat this, how am I going to feel? And then it's like just such a clear yes or no for me. I like that. How am I going to feel? It's not a taste question. It's more of a how do I feel afterwards question. So it's an understanding your body well enough to know how certain foods affect you. Totally. Yeah. 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 And so, so for instance, like alcohol for me kills me, kills me. Like I can, I can like smell wine and the next day I'm like, I think I'm dying. Like it just like, and it doesn't stop me from drinking it. Cause I still have like a glass of wine or two, like 
once or twice a month, but I, I pay for it. Right. Whereas like, I know some people can like drink a bottle of wine and the next day they're like hiking a mountain. I'm like, that's just not me. So it just depends on like really, really knowing your body. So I just have gotten really clear with the foods that make me feel amazing and energized. And that's where I need to be. I, I need to have that like level 10 energy to do what I do. Cause when I'm depleted, there's no way I can do it. That's how you remain the human version of Adderall eating to live. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Right. It's like, it's like sometimes I'll do eight podcasts in a day. So like if I'm feel if I'm not feeling a level 10, like it's not going to be nice. You know, that's probably why you can't drink because when you drink and take Adderall, it really dehydrates you. <laughs> it's like a kryptonite, huh? The most podcasts we did in a day was what, like four? Yeah, it was like four or five. Four. If we probably mm -hmm. would have been drinking beer, we probably could have done eight, huh? <laughs> probably. Who knows? <laughs> drinking beer where I live in Boulder, Colorado, mile high compared to like Baltimore sea level. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, you know, we can put down a couple extra in Baltimore than in Boulder. No, nah, I'm joking. I'm afraid we'd have more beer. We probably could have done 20, actually. I was about to say, Ali, we could have definitely done more if we had more beer. It's like a super. <laughs> The the quality just kind of slips a little, you know. They were all good. You couldn't tell which oh, one was the first yeah. one, which one was the fourth one. Come on now. Don't out yourself here. Don't out yourself. I mean, oh, everyone yeah. that knows me that listens to this podcast knows that I drink beer. I'm sure there's zero person that knows me that listens to this. That I feel like we've talked about drinking beer on this podcast before. That Ali actually had a nickname from a kid. He's he's never been drunk around a kid, but he called Ali Mr. Drink Beer. And he was like, man, why you call me Mr. Drink Beer? He's like, because you look like you drink beer. <laughs> <laughs> that is hilarious. That's a true story. I believe it. Samantha, we really appreciate you speaking with us. Your energy, your spirit, your knowledge, and the work you're doing is so beautiful. And we just really respect your time and, and you just talking with us. And it was just such an honor to speak with you. Oh, thanks, guys. This has been super fun. Like, seriously fun. Definitely. Keep continuing to be that conduit in people's lives and share your gifts with the world. Mm, I will. Yeah, I really appreciate you hanging with us. Uh, keep being that reminder. You're doing wonderful work. We really uh, appreciate you taking the time to hang with us. So good. Yeah, we appreciate it, Sam. Yeah, yeah. Thanks Peace for having me, guys. Peace. Don't forget right, to look Sam. again, y'all. Thank you for listening to Look Again Podcasts. Please feel free to share this content with your friends and community. Also, please consider donating to our Patreon page. You can find us at patreon.com and search for Look Again Podcast. Anything helps and we really appreciate your visit. Thank you so much.